Hello, this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about coincidences. Why do we keep experiencing them? Do we really live in a small world? And are these coincidences meaningful in any way? I mean, mine are, and yours are just nonsense, right? Let's get on with the show. When was the last time you had a noticeable coincidence? The strangest coincidence I've had was about five years ago when I was on the underground and I'd got a baseball cap on and it was red and green. It was slightly unusual, but not massively unusual. And you know when they open the windows between the carriages on the underground? Yeah. When they're going along, you get quite a a breeze. Yeah. Well, I was standing by one of those windows. Big breeze. My cap blows off through the window into the next carriage. I turn around and it's blown exactly onto another man's head. Whoa! I thought the chances of that. Yeah. So the train then pulls into the station. I thought I'd better go and get my cap back. I go into the next carriage. My cap is on the floor. He's wearing an identical one. It hasn't blown off of my head onto his head. He just happens to be wearing an identical cap to me, thus giving me the illusion of a cap transfer. And that is one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me. That's quite pleasing. Yeah. How about you? Well... Can I say you're really unimpressed with my coincidence? I just said that's the weirdest thing that ever happened to me, and you just went, whatever. (laughs) That's because I was waiting to tell you about my coincidence, which is way more... No, it's not. Well, there's been studies on this. (laughs) Everyone loves their own coincidences (laughs) and goes millions to one. Everybody else is unimpressed by everyone else's coincidences. So you're unimpressed by mine, even though, obviously, it's a life-changing experience. No, no, I'm And now you're going to tell me yours. my turn to talk. Yes, no, go for it. Um, No, um... I feel really bad now, but that's genuine. I was thinking of my coincidence. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's yeah. Your okay. Um, when I left Amsterdam, where I lived for seven years, oh. I um, realised as I was getting out to the train station, uh, to the airport uh, train station, that I couldn't fit everything into my luggage allowance. Oh. But if I took my my ratty old uh, dressing gown, which is my father's, oh. um, from Year, decades ago mm-hmm. and it's got a big hole in it and really needs to be chucked away um, if I took it out and just l- abandoned it um, then Isn't that then just fly tipping <laughs> yes if I fly tipped something uh, that I'd been hanging on to then everything else would fit in my luggage and I thought okay this is this is the fate telling me yes. to get rid of this thing was there a breeze and it blew out of your suitcase and, and then you there turned was someone else, else was wearing amazing. a really ratty dressing gown no so a friend came to wave me off and say you know to mark the end of my time in in Amsterdam and I told her about the dressing gown and 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 then she left me and um like an hour later she got on a train random train and there on the seat was my dressing gown. She'd got on the right carriage of the right train that had gone... Hold on a minute. So you'd left... You had actually left the dressing gown on the train. <laughs> yes. That's yes. the most remarkable thing about this story. You thought, I'll just leave this ratty old dressing gown on a train. It wouldn't fit in the 
coffee bin, so I just left it on the, on the seat. Right. I don't know what you do with a dressing gown that you suddenly realise well, you don't. Well, putting it in the bag in the first place might be that's yeah, unbelievable. But, but I was taking everything out of my flat, so I couldn't leave it in the flat because where do you where do you leave it? I don't know. Anyway, your friend got on the train, and it's it's the same it's train. There. It's the same train that had gone off to some other place. I don't yeah. know. Rotterdam, all the way back again. Yeah. She'd got on the right carriage um, and she was like, is this your dressing gown? I said, yes. And she fixed it for me. She fixed the big hole and she posted it to me. And now I can never get rid of it, even though it's even more ratty now. It's still my dressing gown. Coincid- can I say Richard looks really unimpressed? No, it's great. <laughs> you dissed my... Uh, fine, underground one. Fine, your hat, However, hat thing is better. Thank you. What we should say, I mean, both of these are meaningless. <laughs> no. One of them is inappropriate and meaningless, <laughs> and the other one is hilarious and meaningless, but they are both meaningless. So um, people who are really into coincidences would argue that these are kind of odd events, but they, they don't do anything to sort of guide your life. Where if you're a Jungian, i.e. based on the idea of, of Carl Jung, uh, coincidences are very important. And, and so people look at them and go, oh, there's the universe trying to tell me something. So a friend of mine is a Jungian, and he was looking at a map once, and he was looking at it in a place in Africa, and at that moment on the radio, which he got playing in the background, the presenter mentioned the place he was looking at. So for him, that's a very meaningful coincidence. He stopped what he was doing and went to that place in Africa. No. Yeah, because he knew he had to be there for some reason. What what reason was it? No, he just he just went there, and that that's how he looks. Like Jungians are looking out for coincidences because they're meaningful. Now that's only happened to me once, which was only about a month ago. So I'm going to tell you another coincidence now. I'm going to look really interested now. Yeah. So I walk out of my house, and that's I'm going, amazing. I know the chances. <laughs> uh, well, it happens most days actually. So I walked out of my house, and then my parents phoned me about sort of twenty minutes away, and they said, "Can you get this book and post it to us?" So I got the book very easily. And I thought, ah, oh, I can't remember their postcode. That's annoying. I'm going to have to go back to the house to get the postcode to come out and post the, the book. At that moment, a bus goes past. The first bit of the number plate is the first bit of my parents' postcode. <gasps> and that then allowed me to very easily remember the second bit, and I could go and post my book. That's really pleasing. Yeah, it's nice. I was amazed by that. So that's a meaningful coincidence because it's, it's doing some work in your life. But you don't make that much of it. Uh, it's just pleasing for you, whereas your friend the Jungian would be... Oh, like... that, that would that would be a, a... Oh, my goodness, the universe is telling me something. I should go there or talk to my parents more about this. That That's a signal and something to be done with. And, and so Jungian therapy, often coincidences come up. So it's, it's kind of an interesting way of looking at the world. Does your friend find that they spend a lot of time randomly going to random places because the universe told them to? Yeah, and ran- doing what we'd consider to be random things. They don't, they don't consider it random, of course. Right. But what's interesting about that is it's sometimes quite a successful strategy because often we're kind of stuck in a behavioural rut. We're going to the same places, meeting the same people. There's a limit to the opportunities that's going to give you. And now you're doing stuff randomly. I mean, so who knows? That, well, well, that, well, I would consider randomly. That Yes, that does make sense. I'm still intrigued to know <laughs> what they did in Africa when well, they, they went. Well, they would then look for other coincidences yeah. and so on while they're there. It's a different different worldview. Um, anyway, from a sort of more rational scientific point of view, most of the work has looked at 
why we experience coincidences so much, whether they are genuine or whether we're just uh, kidding ourselves. When you say genuine, is there actually a threshold for something to be a meaningful coincidence? Or is it to one. Okay. Yeah. Anything, that seems really... <laughs> I just made that up. No, it sounds good. I don't think there is. I suppose each individual decides. And as I say, you know, we're all more impressed by our own coincidences than other people's, as we illustrated brilliantly. I've I've got a particular soft spot for really rubbish coincidences. So mm. there's there's some Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie sketch which which ends with and Eight years later, to the decade, Margaret Thatcher was ousted from power. Coincidence? <laughs> You're like, yes, yes, that's that's rubbish. That's that's very good. Yeah, but it's the same thing. Obviously, we've had a lot of people getting in touch with the show to share their weird and wonderful coincidences that happened to them. So this voicemail was sent in by Andrew Gladstone about a coincidence in the workplace. Hi, Richard. I'm a podiatrist, and whilst I've had lots of coincidences similar to the one I'm about to tell you about, this one stands out. I was busily working away one day, and a patient's name drifted into my head. I can't remember why. It might have been the conversation I was having with the current patient. I really don't know. But this patient who I thought of was a very regular patient. But for whatever reason, she had not been to my clinic for a number of years. We used to have a fantastic relationship and always had a great laugh. She had a very interesting surname that I constantly took the mickey out of and she loved it when I was rude about it. Anyway, whilst I was treating the patient in front of me, I quickly noted down this patient's name. And my intention was to call her after I'd finished the patient I was treating to see how she was and to find out why she had not seen me for a long time. After finishing treating the patient I had in my chair, I went down to the receptionist to have a chat and make myself a drink. And to my amazement, the receptionist told me that the patient I was thinking about had just called to make an appointment. I immediately called her back and told her my side of the story, and she couldn't believe it either. This type of incident has happened to me lots over many years, more times than I can possibly remember. Thank you. Great. It's great. And, and it's very hard to explain that. One of the big drivers is the law of large numbers. And lots of people looked into it. And, and one of them, Percy Diaconis, who's a statistician and a very good magician. Oh, it's really you know, good. There's a theme developing here, Richard. Yeah, no, he's really good. And so as a young man, he's one of the best card magicians in the world. And he teams up with a man called Di Vernon, uh, who was the, one of the greatest uh, magicians. And Vernon realises that Diaconis is a very bright man and should go to university and not spend his entire life trying to be a magician. And that's how he ends up being a statistician. What, what age are we talking here? I guess he was doing about 18 or 19, I think. So anyway, Diaconis done lots of work on statistics and coincidences. And the law of large numbers is part of that. So if you have something amazing, so someone says, let's imagine in a world there's only one air crash a year, something like that. And someone documents that they, in their entire life, only had one dream about an air crash. And that was the night before it happened. And they could document all of that. We'd go, that's incredible. Until you start to look at the numbers, some of which I've jotted down here. So if you assume they dream, just one dream every night uh, between age 15 and 75, then that gives them 22,000 dreams over their lifespan. So now you randomly allocate the air crash to one of those days. The chances of them dreaming of that the night before, if they only have one dream about an an air crash, is 22,000 to one. So it's incredible for that person. It's like winning the lottery. Okay. And then you think 67 million people in Britain, that's going to happen to about 3,000 people. Gotcha. And that's the same idea that somebody wins the lottery every week. 
Well, it's incredibly unlikely for any one individual, but people, so many people are buying tickets. It's going to happen to someone. For the individual, it looks amazing. When you look at the numbers of people involved, it's going to happen once in a while, in this instance, 3,000 times. So if parapsychologists wanted to find people that could predict things yes. like air crashes, you'd, you'd want to go and find that initial, I don't know how many thousand people around the country that had that dream that correlated, mm. and then maybe go for a second step and, and study those people. Yeah, you could do that. Some people have done that. What's called a premonitions bureau. Wonderful book about it that's out there at the moment. The, the other way is just ask people, do you tend to dream about the future? And then you look at those folks. But either way, what will be an incredible experience actually should happen just because of the large number of people involved. So it, it could be that lower large numbers again, that that experience is going to happen to somebody and it happened to, to this particular person. It could be that they, if you were to think of somebody and they didn't turn up, you'd forget that experience. So we don't know how many misses they were in there. Or it could be the universe, you know, somehow guiding uh, these events to, to coalesce. So it's, it's great. I love these stories. I, I love these stories. Could it be that your brain is sort of thinking through your regular patients and going, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while? Yeah, so I suppose that's a, a kind of psychology of hidden causes. And, and you get that with dreaming, actually. If people leave the radio on overnight, they might hear a news story in their dream, end up dreaming about that. And in the morning, they go, oh, my goodness, that, that dream I had corresponded to news because there's a hidden cause in there. So we don't know. You, know you, you can't take a single experience. That's a wonderful one. You can't take that and really understand too much about that one. You can just talk about them uh, in general. Great story, though. Um, shall we have another one? This is sent in by our exec producer, Rami. Uh, less of a question, more of an anecdote. I met a friend for the first time in five years and then bumped into him the next day randomly on the London Underground. Oh, and I owed him for lunch. The universe was literally making me pay. Well, that's, that's meaningful, I think, financially. So, um, yeah, and it's, it's the same thing. But part of all of this is, of course, the small world phenomenon, which is this idea we're all a bit more connected than we, we realise. So this dates back to Stanley Milgram, who we've mentioned on other episodes, a bit of a hero of mine. And he's best known for this study where he asked people to give electric shocks to other people. But he actually did some really fascinating, really clever, smart social psychology aside from that. And part of it was looking at this small world phenomenon. So he sent out letters to 200 people in Nebraska, pretty much randomly selected, and said, there's a stockbroker in Boston, and this is the person's name, and your job is to get this letter to that stockbroker. Now, you're not going to know this person. And what you have to do is pass it on to somebody you do know who you think will move it nearer to that person. Nice. Okay. And so what Milgram was interested in was how many steps in that chain before it gets to the stockbroker. Oh, and we've had a question from Chris White who contacted the show asking, is the seven degrees of separation rule true in that we're all connected to each other via seven other people? And that's exactly where this comes from. So some people talk about seven degrees of separation um, or connectedness. With Milgram's work, it was six. On average, six steps to go from a bunch of people in Nebraska to one person in Boston when they don't know each other. We used to play a game called Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon where you'd name any actor and everyone else had to try and get them through six other actors who they'd worked with in movies. Yes, same idea. So we did the study in the UK and found out it was actually less than six. It was four in, in, in the UK. And so it's, it's a strange thing. And, and what you notice is that the, it works really well. And in fact, you can do it in a large room. We did it with like 500 people at a party. 
where you say to people, right, you don't know this other guest, but can you send me in the direction of a guest who you do know, who you think will get me closer to that person? And in 500 people, or when you send out these letters, as Milgram did, as we did, you get the same thing happening, which is you get nodes. You get people who are really well connected. And as soon as you hit one of those, bang, it gets there pretty quickly. So it's like kind of lumpy porridge. You know, sort of our society isn't flat in terms of connectivity. There are certain people that know lots right. of people. So lots of these random people in Nebraska probably knew one really social person in That's Lincoln. Right. That's and right. And then they, of course, knew someone in Boston and they could pass on. That's it. Yeah. Okay. But from a coincidence point of view, you go to a party, you get talking to somebody. You go, I can't believe that we both know this other person. Actually, it's a lot more likely than you might imagine. You're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. And in this episode, we're talking about coincidence. And is it a coincidence that on my birthday, I'm actually spending my birthday with people I want to have fun with anyway? Uh, I guess that's a coincidence. Okay, yes. fine. Yeah. Good. Um, could you imagine other people that would be even more fun? No. Yeah, it's not coincidence. That's just sad, isn't it? But... <laughs> Uh, part of it is, is uh, also we're terrible at stats. I know I am, uh, even as a psychologist. So if you say to people, this is the classic one that the sceptics and, and researchers trot out, how many people did it take to be in a room to have a 50-50 chance of two of them sharing a birthday? Not the year, but a uh, date in the month. Okay. The answer is a surprisingly small 23 people. Oh. So 23 people in a room, you've got a 50-50 chance of sharing a birthday. Okay. If you get 48 people in that room, then it's massive. It's about 95% chance. And I've done this with lots of groups of 50 people. You just get people to go along with their, saying out their birthdays and somebody suddenly go, oh, that's mine. And you've got this hit. And it's because we don't really understand stats. My favourite stats puzzle Nothing to do with coincidences. I love that you have a favourite stats puzzle. I do. This is, uh, I did this on... Um, and yet you're fun at parties. No, I'm not. No, I mean, like... I never get invited. That's not true. You've been to a party with 500 people in this episode. As a work party. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering what kind of venue you have for a 500-person party. Uh, that was a very big venue. Yeah. Yes. Um, Your favourite stats My favourite stats thing, I mentioned this once on the radio, and it caused lots of statisticians to write in and we had to do another episode to explore the uh, stats behind it, which I never fully understood. So uh, a family's got two children. One of them is a boy. What's the probability of the other being a girl? And most people think, well, it's going to be 50-50. Yeah. Like, assuming even split between boys and girls. It's not the case. It's a two-thirds chance that it's a girl. What? Why? Well, uh, and I know we're going to get lots of complaints now as I try to explain this. It's because there are four possibilities if you have two kids, uh, assuming they're either going to be a boy or a girl. It's boy-boy, boy-girl, girl-boy, girl-girl. Now, at the beginning of the puzzle, we're told that one of them is a boy. So it takes out girl-girl, and that leaves you with boy-boy, boy-girl, girl-boy, and that gives you two-thirds the chance of being a girl. Oh, no, I do. That does make sense, but yeah. also... I'm glad it makes sense to you because there'll be lots of listeners already as particular statisticians going, hold on a second, it matters exactly how you word that puzzle. Yes, yeah. Yes, I probably got it wrong. So the key point being, stats sometimes can be quite counterintuitive. And so you can have an experience, go, my goodness, the chances of that. And actually, it can be quite different to what you think the chances are. I've got Wizard of Oz coat written down on a piece of paper. Yes. Why? Uh, because one of my favourite coincidences. Tell me about that. Frank Baum. Um, now, Wizard of Oz, why is it called Oz? 
because he looked up on his filing drawer. He got O to Z. Oh. Yeah. Got two two drawers. Otherwise, it'd be called the Wizard of Anne, which is not as good. Uh, so he went with Oz. I don't know if that's true. I've read it on the internet, so it might not be true. No, everything on the internet's true. Uh, so Frank yeah. writes Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Huge success. Frank. Oh, there's another Frank. Frank Morgan. So now, we've now got two Franks. Coincidence? The, chance, <laughs> the chances. It's going to make this story really complicated. Uh, first Frank, mm. uh, Frank 1, uh, writes Wizard of Oz. Frank 2 is Morgan. asked to star in the film okay. uh, in 1939. And he's all dressed up. He's going to play the wizard. And somebody goes in wardrobe, goes, hold on a second. It's not the right outfit. I'll go and get you a better outfit. And they go and buy a, a jacket from a thrift store as it would be in America charity shop over here uh, puts it on Frank 2 Frank 2 looks in the jacket and it used to belong to Frank 1 <gasps> writer of Wizard of Oz that's very pleasing apparently that's true in the sense of there's several internet sites that tell that story and uh, do you know where the annual Wizard of Oz festival is held is in Scotland no it's in America in a town called Chesterton oh very good have you been there no chances of that can I tell you a bunch of coincidences around the deaths of President uh, JFK, John Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln? Go for it. Okay, so Lincoln... No way, that's incredible. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Lincoln was killed and yes. JFK was also assassinated. Both assassinated, yes. But Lincoln was killed in the Ford Theatre. Yes. While Kennedy was assassinated when he was driving a Lincoln car... Built by Ford. Can I just say that the people assassinated are two different people? There's no coincidence yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But um, Lincoln, I'm just going with the coincidences. Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846, mm-hmm. Kennedy in 1946. Yeah. Killed in different places, though, weren't they? So it wouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lincoln was elected president in 1860, Kennedy in 1960. The surnames of both men contain seven letters. Both killings mm-hmm. took place on a Friday and after their deaths, both presidents were succeeded by men named Johnson. Andrew Only Johnson. one of them <laughs> tried to get to the moon. Andrew Johnson was born in 1809 mm. and Lyndon Johnson in 1909. So Coincidence? I, well, obviously. Uh, but I, I but think, if I was Jungian... Yes. Well, I don't know what you do with uni- that. The universe is tr- trying to tell me something and I'm not quite sure what it is. Well, I think it's, a, it's, it's telling you that we're trying to look for meaning in, in, in stuff. So what's interesting here is that you can line up all the ways they're different or you can line up all the ways in which they're similar. All the ways which Whereas they're different the simi- doesn't give you a good story. Yeah, exactly. The similar ways are cool at yes. a party. Yes, and the, my ways are uh, just, yeah, I'm going to end up in the kitchen and get on my own. Yeah. Um, but it also gets into confirmation bias, which is if you look for these things, then you'll find them. And that's true pretty much of anything in life, that what, the once you um, start to be on the lookout for a certain idea or word, I, I, you can do it with the word elephant. Elephant. If you now keep your eyes open for the word elephant for the rest of the day, you'll see pictures of elephants or the word elephant where you didn't notice them before. We, we like information that confirms our point of view. We're not very good at doing what scientists should do, which is look for disconfirming information. So there with that story, you know, if you go, actually, here's all the ways in which they're different. As you say, you end up on your own at a party. We like the idea that there's something mysterious going on. And that kind of mystery mongering, I, I think, is really important to us 
this this thought that the world is quite mysterious, there's something to be understood, it makes you curious, it drives you forward. There are all of these lines connecting everything together. And yes. I think we enjoy, I mean, that's why we enjoy mysteries, right? And conspiracies, I guess. Oh, to some extent, I, I think that it, it shows us that not often in life, actually things are connected. And, and we're trying to find that pattern in order to, to move forward in life. When you then take that same pattern matching part of the brain and apply it to two presidents that were many, many years apart, you get the same phenomenon. You can't explain what's going on. And so you get something unexpected and weird. So all of this I find fascinating because it's what we're bringing to the party. And that means we have these rather strange experiences. And then we start to interpret them in certain ways. So I, I think it's kind of a, a celebration of how sophisticated we are most of the time, how we get it right most of the time, and occasionally we trip ourselves up. Coincidence is to some extent the price we're paying for being so wonderful the rest of the time. So we've covered huge amounts. Yep. What I've learned is I don't understand stats as well as I thought I would. I think we've learned that sometimes coincidences are meaningful that they guide people's lives. They help you write postcodes. Absolutely. Other times we are kidding ourselves. We can do that with large numbers. We can do it with a misunderstanding of stats. We can do it with uh, the small world phenomenon. Phenomenon. And a phenomenon. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we've also discovered that the story involving Frank 1 and Frank 2 might be true. From Podomo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podomo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>